Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome back to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? My name is Grant. And really, really pumped that you are here today. If you are someone that is trying to find work that you love, if you're someone who's thinking, man, I don't hate my job, I don't love my job, not really sure what I'd rather be doing. If you're living life thinking, man, thank God it's Friday to, oh God, it's Monday. Listen, you have come to the right place. Really, really excited that you're here. We've got a great show for you today. We're talking with uh, Travis Garvet about the nonprofit social entrepreneurship world. And so he's got a great story about how he started in the nonprofit world, decided to, to transition that a little bit into social entrepreneurship, how he is working with different jewelry manufacturers over in Africa, and then bringing some of that back into the U.S. and uh, creating just a cool business that benefits both to him and the seller, the creator of the jewelry in Africa, as well as the, the customers and consumers that he's working with. So cool stuff. Let's get right into this. Enjoy this interview with Travis Gravett. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today, we're joined by my buddy, Travis Gravett, a, uh, a fellow Nashville resident who is a uh, really a, a cool social entrepreneur that's doing some great stuff in the world and uh, excited to get into his story and journey today. So Travis, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Grant. Great to be here. Honored to have you here. We met uh, a couple months ago once I, I first moved to town, and we met with a, a couple of mutual friends. And I was like, "These are my people. Like the, Travis is the <laughs> these are the type of dudes. This is what we moved here for." So yeah. glad we were able to connect there, and then can able been able to, to I think cross paths a time or two since then. But so social entrepreneur that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. We just met at the uh, the coffee shop. So what what do you describe that it is that you do? Right. I would say the the short description is using entrepreneurship to make a social impact. So for me, that's using business to make an economic impact with artisans in East Africa through my company, Red Earth. So there's a lot of different ways that you could do that. So what kind of stuff are you selling today? Because you're basically, you're getting, what, what is it, basically goods from Africa, you're bringing them into the U.S. to sell here? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So sorry to that give you a bit more of explanation. So diving into our company, Red Earth, is basically we work with, we're a jewelry company, and we work with artisans in Kenya specifically who make jewelry by giving them access to a Western market or a global market, really. And then also working with them to, you know, better fine-tune their business to make sure they're, you know, creating designs, jewelry that can sell in the global market, not just to a tourist in Kenya. And so because of our relationship and and working with, you know, this husband wife team specifically, you know, they're now have grown their business. They're able to buy, you know, they just actually purchased their own property. You know, the quality of the product's gone up. And so I, my background is actually in the nonprofit sector. I worked in East Africa for 10 years and over the last year and a half, two years I've kind of transitioned more into the for-profit sector, but still with kind of the same heart and mission, but just a different approach. Gotcha. And I want to get into more of that background in a second, but to look at what you're doing today. So is it just one couple that you're working with in Africa? They make, they manufacture all the jewelry. You're bringing it back into the U.S. and selling it for them. And then everybody's getting a cut of it. Is that kind of how it works in a nutshell? A little bit. It's Yeah. So basically they have their own business. It's a husband-wife team. They have about 10 employees and we're not their exclusive buyer. We're pretty close to it and eventually will be. They still sell some locally, which is great. But basically we buy all the product up front. So we're not sending money back. So it's a straight business relationship, but we buy it 
for much more than they would make locally, you know, because obviously we're able to sell it for more here than the tourism market. And we design everything ourselves. So basically we work with them and all the jewelry and product they make for us is exclusively for us. You know, we designed it because what may sell to a tourist in Kenya isn't going to sell to, you know, an average person here in, in the U.S., So because of that, you know, obviously, if you pay close attention to headlines, that part of the world can be kind of hairy sometimes with terrorists and different, you know, situations. And so if, you know, they have a terrorist attack or something happens, obviously tourism drops and he's out of business, you know. So what this enables him to do is in in a part of the world that doesn't have a lot of infrastructure or access you know, even to online, like we do here, uh, he doesn't, he can't just go throw stuff up on Etsy. We're able to give him access to the global market and a much more secure revenue stream and, and more profitable revenue stream. So once you get the jewelry back here in the U.S., are you selling it through like individual, like actual physical stores or is that through online or is it through a, like a third party, like an Etsy or, or how does that transaction then actually take place once it's back over here? Sure, sure. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, we're definitely, you know, have built our own brand. And so it's through a couple different channels. We have our own store online. So redearthshop.com. We sell through through our own website. We do, you know, wholesale, which we've just kind of started. We kind of focused more on our own kind of direct to consumer channels first, but we've just in the last three months rolled out wholesale. So I think we're about 40, almost 50 stores now around the country. And, you know, we, we've done some third party stuff through different, you know, kind of aggregate sites or distribution sites. So, you know, things like Fancy and other stuff like that, who they're brands that sell other brands, you know, they are not necessarily have their own product. And then we've also done a lot of live events, so direct to consumer. So whether it's either a house party or a trunk show or so we've toured and probably done literally hundreds of live events all over the country. Interesting. All right, cool. Let's backtrack a little bit because I, I want to get into how you actually got into to what you're doing here. So you mentioned that you, you kind of started in the, the nonprofit world. Was that something like growing up in life you were around a lot or you always wanted to get into the nonprofit world? How did that kind of come to be? Yeah, it's definitely nothing in my life <laughs> in the last 10, almost 15 years for the most part has been super planned out. It's kind of been experiencing things and realizing I wanted to do something and, you know, kind of make taking steps and taking you in different directions that honestly I didn't really have the foresight for. I actually was on the path as far as college goes for the music industry. That's what brought me to Nashville. So I went to a school called MTSU studying music business at the same time, you know, through my church and faith community, I kind of, I, you know, I'd I'd experienced the third world and kind of seen how the rest of the world lives on a small degree in my senior years back in 2004, I wanted to go to Africa. I'd never been before. And so ended up Googling orphanages in Africa and doing some research and discovering all these smaller locally started and run organizations. And through that, I met a Ugandan woman named Faith who had started an organization called Bringing Hope to the Family. And so long story short, I flew out there by myself and spent about a little over a month with Faith in Western Uganda Uh, over my Christmas break in 2004. And it just, it completely changed my life. And I realized that, you know, as the first time I kind of experienced extreme poverty on that level, you know, as a 22 year old trying to kind of address, you know, what's my response to this? Can I make a difference? When I came back, graduated and kind of processed all that, stayed in touch with faith, I realized, you know, the answer really is local leaders like faith who grew up in these communities, who know what their communities need. And 
have just the vision for their communities and made a sacrifice to go back and serve their community like she had. So I started a, a nonprofit called No Think Act. So No is in knowledge, K-N-O-W, so nothinkact.org or .com. And um, basically it became like a Kickstarter. What it grew into is like a Kickstarter for these local leaders, and we ended up having two partners. So we put up projects and things that they were working on, and 100% of the money would go straight to that project. So everything from education to healthcare to clean water initiatives to agriculture initiatives, orphan care. So yeah, so I kind of did that over the last 10 years in East Africa. So out of college, I decided, hey, I really want to help support local leaders like Faith and and didn't go into the music business. Instead, I went and bought a nonprofit for dummies book and started out taking people out to coffee. And less than a year after graduating college, started started a nonprofit. And I've kind of been self-employed ever since and just taking it one step at a time. So that first trip to Uganda, were you in college at that point or what kind of like phase in this in the, in the yeah. story are you, are you at at that point? Sure, sure. Yeah. So yeah, I was, it was a senior in college. And basically, in my mind, like I said, it wasn't pre-planned. So my agenda for that trip, I mean, it was just as much about adventure and having, you know, this crazy, amazing adventure before. I mean, kind of in my mind, I was like, hey, this is my last chance to do something like this easily before I, you know, jump into a career. And I also wanted it to shape, you know, my global perspective moving forward and, and, and kind of seeing how the rest of the world lived in that part of the world and knowing there was, you know, extreme poverty and challenges. And so, you know, I figured in my mind, it was more of, hey, instead of going and having some senior break in Panama City, I'm going to go to, <laughs> you know, to Africa, <laughs> kind of expand my worldview and shape my perspective and probably become a more, you know, compassionate, giving person. But going, you know, it, it'll affect who I am going into my career. I didn't go say, hey, I'm going to go to Africa to start a nonprofit. Like, to be honest, nonprofits weren't as cool back then. There wasn't the focus on Africa that there is now that, I, you know, I think Africa's gotten a lot more attention in the last 10 years. At that point, like I didn't, I never, you know, it was pre-Invisible Children. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with that organization. Right, right. You know, I literally didn't even know where Uganda was on the map. I had to go look it up, you know. So there wasn't the awareness that I think there is now, you know, outside of a couple really big name nonprofits. Nonprofit, you know, it's funny. I had a friend like a few years ago. I was like, you know, kids aren't starting bands anymore. They're starting nonprofits, which is, you know, awesome. Um, but, you know, there wasn't quite the cool factor or even the sport network that there is now. So for me, there was no agenda, but you know, it's kind of one of those things you experience something and it just, there's, I think there's a few of those moments most people have in their life where it's kind of, it changes the tra trajectory of your life. And for me, that trip was, was that, and I didn't realize it at the time. And honestly, it wasn't until like six months or so after I came back, you know, that it just kind of was like, man, this is, there's something here. I kind of need to really kind of pursue this, you know? But once you're over there, you meet meet the Lady Faith and, and, you know, you have this cool experience and it could come back and it could be the type of thing where it's a great story and it does exactly what you wanted it to do and it impacts your worldview going forward and it makes you a, a better, more compassionate person over here in the States. But it's something totally different to come back and be like, it was revolutionary enough that I'm going to completely change the trajectory of my life. So when you came back, was it kind of like, all right, I'm done with this music thing. I'm going all in on this new endeavor or like what were you kind of thinking at that point because you'd studied music entirely in college up until that point correct sure yeah music and, and the business aspect of music i i played music as well but yeah my focus was the business side of it as far as school goes so i had some you know basic business management you know and skills like that but nothing nonprofit oriented but yeah, I mean, it really was like a year process. You know, it wasn't like I just came back like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. You know, it's definitely a lot of like 
conversations, a lot of mulling, you know, just kind of working towards that. But for me, really what it was, and I've told us all, you know, I could have taken that trip and it wasn't the poverty or the need that motivated that changed my life. Because I think a lot of times poverty and need really has the tendency to be more like numbing or just overwhelming, not necessarily motivating, quite frankly. It was faith. It was her leadership. It was her vision. I caught the vision she had for her community. I saw the work that she was doing with such little resources and was just blown away by it. You know, so it was that human connection. It was that personal connection to another leader who inspired me because honestly, the situation, the challenge was overwhelming. I mean, as a 22 year old, there really wasn't, if I was only looking at the problem, there wouldn't have been a whole lot I could have thought I could have brought to the table to make an impact. But in partnership with faith and aligning myself with her vision and supporting what she was already doing, I could bring a lot to the table. I, you know, I had access to, you know, networks of people in the U.S. who wanted to help and wanted to get involved, but just they didn't know people like Faith. So in a way, I became a bridge, and I could kind of bring two worlds together. And that's, that's you know, so that's a cool way to, to look at it. What was that year like? Where you have the trip, you come back, you're mulling it over for a year before you actually do something. Because I think there's a lot of people listening that may be in a similar spot where it's like, I've got this like small glimmer of an idea, and I, it could be something, it could be nothing. I don't know. I'm mulling it over. So, like, what is that year like? And how did you? What steps did you take to eventually arrive at the decision? Like, okay, let's do this. Let's let's go all in. Let's let's make this transition from the the music business and kind of that path to doing more of the nonprofit stuff. So, yeah. like, what happened in that year that really cemented it for you? Yeah, yeah, it definitely is not. You know, it definitely is a confusing time for sure. You know, it definitely is a lot to work through. But for me, you know, what that process looked like was. I went out and bought books about starting nonprofits and started reading all those and just doing all the research and kind of back study on, you know, what does it take to start a nonprofit? Like, what does that look like? What's involved? What's the process? All that kind of stuff. Then I also went out and met with several nonprofits because there's also a part of me that's like, hey, I don't want to reinvent the wheel either. If like, if I could basically take my ideas and what I want to do and do it within a nut, you know, some other framework or some existing organization, what, there's no need for me to start my own organization just because I want to start my own organization. So I went and had coffee with several, you know, higher ups and different nonprofits and, you know, sat down, shared my story, said, hey, this is what I would like to do. And what I realized was I could get some of these other nonprofits who are already working in East Africa to maybe help on a project, like a single project, like help dig a well or help with this or that. But they already had their own agenda. They already had their own vision. And so they, they weren't as... And, not, and nothing against them, but it just wasn't their mission to build the relationship with faith and the, to work in the way that I was wanting to work. And so I kind of came away from those meetings realizing, hey, if I really want to do this in the way that I have a vision for, I kind of have to start my own organization. Just to jump in here. So for that year, though, you're reading books, you're just gathering knowledge. And I think that that's like the really key important part here that I want people to catch is that it's not like this thing of going on a trip and coming back and, you know, Friday, like, all right, like, forget this path we're on Monday, we're going to just start this whole thing. It's like, I'm, I'm like mulling it over. I'm thinking about it. I'm chewing it. I'm doing research. I'm doing homework. I'm talking to people that are actually in the trenches figuring out all right, outside looking in, this is my perception of what I think this would be like if I go down this path, but you're actually doing it. You're making this happen. So what is this actually like? But just doing that kind of like fact gathering, information gathering is so critically important just to like get a good pulse of if I did this, what would it actually be like rather than just kind of like throwing caution to the wind and diving right in? 
Right, right, yeah. And the other thing I would say too is starting to speak, talk about it, like to speak it out loud and like like hearing yourself talk about it, have conversation with friends and mentors and people, advisors about it. And it's kind of, a, it's kind of almost like speaking it into existence in a way. So, you know, it starts off with like, well, I think I might do this. I'm kind of considering this. This is how to, you know, and then it kind of goes to, a little, you know, it gets a little bit more definitive. And so what that went from is it really the transition was it went from kind of study, research, talking about it, to I started putting a group of kind of more committed people together who wanted to help make it happen and forming a team, you know, even before there was, a, you know, a legal organization. And so it ended up getting some covering, you know, even just from a legal perspective, you know, our first, almost our first year before, because, you know, the nonprofit world, before we could get our 501c3 status for tax donation, you know, tax deductible purposes, we ended up filtering stuff through the church I was going to. And so got stuff set up under there and got, you know, support from that community. And it ended up being actually in 2006, I brought a whole group back of key individuals with me back to Uganda who were kind of, were kind of the foundation of starting the organization and got all of them caught the vision and were excited and pumped. And, you know, some of them became key employees who to this day are still, you know, helping run the organization. Nice. And I, I like the, again, that you just, you, it seems like you've just taken baby steps all along the way. It's never just like, we're going to just completely jump right into this and hopefully it just all magically works out. But it's like, we're just, let's take the next logical steps. The next logical step is to get a book. All right. The next logical step is to talk to someone. The next logical step is to casually share the idea with some friends or, or family just to see feedback. You know, the next step is to get some more people involved. And so it's just, it, again, it's just like these incremental steps to arriving to, you know, what you're doing. So uh, was the idea always to do jewelry or how did that kind of come to be? Was that what Faith was doing when you, when you connected with her? Yeah. So no, that, I mean, once again, that was not even on the radar. I mean, gosh, Faith's organization, it's the growth and where she's at today from when I met her is, is just insane. You know, I mean, when I met her, she had very little contact with anybody outside of Uganda. So, you know, all of her funding was local with you, and that was really small. She had just taken like her first two kids, that orphans that she was working with in, you know, a lot of what she was doing as education and awareness. And so now today, I mean, she literally has one of the best, has built one of the best hospitals slash clinics in the whole Western part of the country. She has over 3,000 orphans register within her program. She has secondary schools, elementary schools, vocational programs, actual orphanage that houses almost a hundred kids. I mean, it's just phenomenal. She does have a vocational program as well with girls who are doing everything from hair salon training and all that to arts and, you know, craft making most of that sold locally. But as far as the transition into red earth, you know, I started kind of meeting these artisans outside of faith and outside of her organization, just in the local markets and the local economy. And, just realizing how talented all these artisans were. And I think anybody who spent time in that part of the world or in a lot of third world, you know, scenarios realize there's just some amazing artisans, you know, who have this ability to create amazing things with very limited resources. And it's incredible. And so we started kind of working with them on the side saying, Hey, here's a way that we can kind of help make a difference. But you know, from more of a, from a, a for-profit angle, you know, if we can help, and originally, too, it started, we were kind of using that to be kind of a sustaining engine for the nonprofit. So we were kind of funneling all the profits back into the nonprofit. But we realized over time is if we were really going to take that seriously and if we were really going to scale it, it needed to be a for-profit company that we focused on, the structure of it and all that. It just it worked a lot better. And so the, even that was a long – was 
you know, years of a transition. It wasn't like just overnight. We're like, hey, let's start this other company. And eventually it got to a place where I had to choose between running my nonprofit and kind of, you know, stepping into a, a new season and running Red Earth separately. And that's when I actually merged my nonprofit with one of the the very first nonprofits that I sat down and had coffee with 10 years ago. Yeah. So it kind of came full circle, which is really cool. Interesting. So you de- you decide to start the jewelry thing. And so initially the idea was just this is going to fund the nonprofit. But I guess tell me more about why you decided to, to I guess, merge the nonprofit with that, that you know, that previous nonprofit and just focus primarily on the, the for-profit organization. Sure. So, I mean, really, it came down to like, you know, are we going to build, first off, it's a little bit more of, of just for lack of a better way to say it, a charity kind of business to where people are buying a product because they want to support a good cause. And so as we started working, we were working with lots of artisans, lots of people, and honestly, the quality of the products were not quite where they needed to be. But then we started working with some artisans who definitely their skill sets, you know, I call them master craftsmen, you know, they've been doing it for 20 plus years. And we were like, okay, if we can focus if we're going to build a legitimate business and make a true impact financially for these people, for, you know, for the people we're working with, we really have to first and foremost, create a real business that's creating products that people desire just because the product itself is amazing. And so the dedication and time and energy it takes in just to really building a true business, it's hard to run both at the same time. And so what you see is a lot of the people who are, you know, creating products from these regions, you know, to be honest, the, the products themselves, it, it is still more of a, you're buying the story, you're not necessarily buying the product. And so where the story is still very important and we tell the story, if you're going to scale a business and really make an impact on an economic, you know, scale, you really have to have a great product. And so it kind of became the decision of, and also on a personal level, I started to realize after about 10 years that just from even a managerial standpoint, administrative standpoint, I kind of enjoyed the for-profit sector a little bit more. So I kind of did it backwards. I tell people I'm an entrepreneur who started a nonprofit first (laughs) instead of like for-profit and doing a nonprofit later. And it was still the same heart, you know? So for me, I was still trying to accomplish the same thing, working with local leaders in East Africa, but they happen to be local business owners, you know, very similar to people here in the U.S. who if I can help them grow their business and they can hire five more people, 10 more people, 50 more people, those people now have an income. They can put their kids in school. They can help their relatives. They can make sure that they have a well. They can buy property. And so it's kind of a lot of the same objectives that was with my nonprofit, but doing it in a sustainable way through a for-profit business. And so... You know, I think there's definitely the nonprofit, there's things that they both do well and and needs that they both address separately that, you know, can't be addressed through the different channels. But for me, I just, you know, it's kind of felt like it was just a new season. And so I wanted to kind of put my all into it. And the the reason of merging the nonprofit, it just is just there's another profit, the nonprofit I talked to before here in town, just there was a lot of alignment. And it was kind of like instead of kind of once again, going back to that reinventing the wheel thing, we had built an amazing online platform that they were really interested in. And they had an amazing leadership network across all of Africa that we didn't have. And it's kind of like, why would we both build the same thing, you know? Right, basically right. kind of rebuild what we both built already. So it's a really cool thing. And so now that organization is continuing on when I'm an advisor and it's pretty cool to see something you built and worked on still impacting lives. And I'm able to move on and start to build and work on something else. And, um, 
you know, most people don't see that until they're 60 or 70. So it's cool to get to experience that, you know, in my thirties and yeah, hopefully building that legacy. Why jewelry? Cause it, it's, you know, there's a lot of different, I assume artisan goods that you could have selected to import and bring back into the U S it sounds like you, you don't have like this jewelry background or anything or something that you're <laughs> deeply passionate about or have a lot of knowledge on. So of all the different types of artisan goods that you could, like you could have picked something that you're like, I'm really into, you know, like especially musical instrument. I don't know, something, sure. you know, something more along the lines of music. So why something like jewelry? Yeah, it was more of just because that, you know, if you, if you spend time in that, in, in any East Africa and Kenya specifically, you know, artisans tend to specialize in certain things, you know, see so your guys who do leather, who carve wood, who carve bone, who do metal casting and, you know, beadwork. And so, in the artisan community, jewelry is the primary thing that they're making in that area. Yeah. And I have friends who have companies who are working in Peru making shoes or other, you know, other goods who are, who do a lot of weaving and stuff. So, I, you know, we've done scarves, we've done leather goods, but we ended up so that it was just more artisan driven, you know, not necessarily my passion driven. And so it was kind of that's what was there and what they were making. And so, you know, obviously the jewelry market is huge. And so it was kind of saying, Hey, let's not try to like force them to make something that's not natural. Like let's, they're already making this. It's a great quality. How can we help maybe kind of steer it to where the designs fit a global marketplace? And so, uh, yeah, that's kind of how we got on jewelry. And, you know, in the initial stages, you know, you start to refine it. We worked with, a ton of artisans and, you know, is not scalable. And, and, and we kind of over the years where we actually ended up focusing on one couple and their business and helping scale that. And they kind of were making some of the best quality products. And, you know, it was something that we could really invest in and really focus on. I'm curious, I'm curious how you keep your, your own interest in something like jewelry. If it's not something that you're super passionate about or interested in, but I'm thinking about like even, I remember a couple of years ago, my wife and I, we had a, a little side eBay business selling purses and I knew squat about purses. I still don't, but my wife knew something about them. And so we could go get some, some high end thing that was really, really discounted and turn around and sell it. But after time, it started to kind of fade because it wasn't anything that I just, I was that into, you know? So it sounds like you're really, you're really connected to the people and the story, but the, the item that you're selling and what your business is built upon is a subject or, or a industry that you, you know, whether it was, it was jewelry or leather or beadwork or whatever is irrelevant as much as the, as much as the people that you're working with. So how do you personally keep engaged in something that you're not, you're not super passionate about what you're selling? Yeah. I mean, I definitely appreciate what we sell and, you know, definitely want it to be quality. I am involved in the design process to a certain degree, but you know, I think that's where you got to make sure you have a jewelry designer on your team who is passionate about jewelry and is passionate about the design aspect. And that's what we, you know, you build a team. So you know, in general, what drives me and gets me out of bed every morning is what we're trying to accomplish with the business, which is, you know, creating jobs. It is that relationship aspect. And so there's plenty within the business that I'm passionate about and keeps me engaged, you know, just the aspect of building the business and, you know, all the things that surround it. So, you know, while I may not be passionate to a huge extent about the actual product because I don't wear a ton of jewelry. I'm still very passionate about the company, you know, right, right. Uh, and the heart of the company and the company that we're building. So that's why you hire as you grow and you can bring other people in, you know, you hire people who are passionate about those certain areas of the business that maybe you're not passionate about, or honestly, you're not, you know, you don't have the skill set for. And so, you know, that's what we've done. And 
but I also from day one have had a huge admiration and respect and passion for how our products are made, which is incredible. You know, just the art, the artisanship and the craftsmanship that these guys and women, men and women have is just amazing. And even after 10 years, I'm still just blown away by, you know, watching them make the products that we sell. So there's ways to stay, I think, deeply engaged in what you're doing. And, And at the end of the day, like for myself on a personal level, like I, describe myself more as an entrepreneur. So like what I enjoy most is building businesses and, and the ins and outs of creating something, you know? So I'm not necessarily on a personal level driven by one specific thing for me. So for me, it was more about creating the organization and what the organization is trying to accomplish. The product is like a vehicle for that. You know, it's kind of the wheels in the car. Yeah. makes total sense. Well, I got a couple of questions that we're going to save for the bonus round. One thing I'm wondering is since you helped start a nonprofit and, and you did that, you spent that year of just kind of research, you know, for someone that may be listening to this, that's going, all right, I've got some ideas of maybe my own nonprofit that I'd like to start. What would be some of those things that I need to do in the beginning to start thinking through or start working towards? So we're going to save that for the, uh, the bonus round as well. I'm also, the other question I'm wondering about is for people that want to do something similar of just like, I, I, maybe I have some connection or I had, uh, maybe it's in Africa, maybe it's some other country around the world. And I'd love to import something into the U S to sell or to build some type of brand or company around. What could I do? So we're going to save both those subjects and topics for the bonus round. But in the meantime, if people want to find out more about you, check out more of your story or just like, okay, I'm intrigued by this jewelry. I got to see it. I need to buy some, where can we go? Yeah, it's redearthshop.com. Awesome. We'll be sure and uh, link that up in the show notes and send everybody that direction. So we'll hang out over in the bonus round. encourage everyone to stop by and uh, listen to us over there. Sound good? Awesome. Thanks, Grant. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that chit-chat with my buddy Travis Gravett. Really good stuff there. Again, I'd encourage you to download the bonus material where Travis and I, we hop back on the mic and uh, we chat for a few more minutes about social entrepreneurship, about nonprofit, about starting something from scratch. And so really good practical steps and and ideas that Travis gives there. Again, you can download that totally for free uh, from the show notes over at grantbaldwin.com. Definitely stop by and check that out. Hey, if you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to the show. Also, leave us a uh, rating review within uh, iTunes or Stitcher. If you like the show, if you dig the show, we want to hear from you. We want to know. We want to know how it's helping you. And and definitely, by leaving us a rating and review, it helps other people to find the show and helps us to uh, to connect with them as well. So really do appreciate you. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate you hanging out with us. We will catch you next time, my friend. You are awesome. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.